Hello and welcome. This is the Real Talk Podcast and I'm Susie Shaw. I'm one of the people behind the most successful bariatric support groups on the, on the internet. Since I started there, I have helped thousands to take their lives back before or after they've had weight loss surgery or regain after weight loss surgery. My group operates a little differently than most groups and coaches that are out there because not only are the moderators and admins post-ops who have had surgery, we've had it long enough to truly understand the ins and the outs of life with that surgery. Plus, many of us have had a regain, so we know how that feels. This podcast series is here to help you improve your mindset, give you some focus, and a new perspective on life after weight loss surgery, and how to handle all that comes your way so that you finally start to learn how to change your habits so the weight stays off for good. So let's get started. Bariatric surgery is a life-changing journey that offers a ton of benefits. It also comes with its own set of challenges that I'd be willing to bet many of you listening may have already encountered. Today, I wanna explore some of the most common pitfalls that people encounter post-surgery and provides a couple tips on how to overcome them. So I wanna get started with mistake number one, which is drinking with meals. And after weight loss surgery, any kind of weight loss surgery. Drinking while you're eating will wash the food out of your pouch, your sleeve, or right past your lap band, or whatever form of weight loss surgery that you've had. It just washes that right out of your out of your pouch. And that actually allows you to overeat and eat around your surgery. So you can eat way more than you, than you really should. Believe it or not, there are some people who do this on purpose so that they can eat more and that adds that twist of self-sabotage. I've seen this happen, um, seen this like kind of come up a lot in support groups or on social media for people who are going to like a vacation or like a big party or something like that and they want to, you know, kind of like they say, I want to enjoy myself. So people come up with the excuse sometimes too that they have to drink because they're thirsty while they're eating a meal. To avoid that, just have a glass of water before you eat or better yet make sure that you're drinking enough water throughout the day so that you don't have to drink during meals that hydration throughout the day is important on so many different levels but that's one of the big ones unless you've been told otherwise you can drink right up until you take your first bite of food but once you start eating food no more drinking unless you're choking and this is really critical to your long-term success Mistake number two is drinking soda or pop or Coke or whatever you call it. Um, despite what you've been told, having a soda doesn't do anything dramatic like explode your pouch or stretch it all out, even though I know probably your doctor may have told you that. Um, it might be physically uncomfortable for you or even like painful, but it's not doing any permanent damage to your stomach. Um, if that were the case, it'd be unsafe for like children to drink for the same reason, and even for adults to drink for the same reason. It would be an unsafe beverage and off the market. Um, in most cases, when you hear that from a doctor or a nutritionist, they're trying to scare you straight, kind of like they do with the straws. Um, but that's like another topic for another episode. But um, the no soda thing is actually because it's a bit of a gateway drug. Um, and I know that's really a, a dramatic way to put it, but drinking soda takes many, many people back to a time when they would drink sodas all day long. And often they'd ignore proper meals because caffeine and sodas will suppress your appetite um, and it will make you feel a little bit fuller. Um, and even worse, you know, they don't even recognize how much they're eating in general if they do eat because they're washing the food right, you know, out of their stomachs while they're eating and stuff like that. There's a lot of that goes along with like drinking large quantities of soda. A lot of post-ops struggled with soda um, and worked through just a huge amount of it before. Um, and I think we can all kind of relate to this. Um, a lot of people who drink soda go through a 12-pack or more 
a week, if not more than that, in a, in a, you know, some of us went through that in a day even. Um, you know, I've seen people in, in the grocery stores and at like Walmart and stuff like that with like multiple, multiple cases in their grocery carts. And you wonder like, gosh, are they having a party or is that just part of their weekly grocery shop? Um, it's not an uncommon habit. If that was you or maybe your soda habit was that you had to grab one on the way to work um, from a specific fast food place or that you always had to have one in the car with you when you were, you know, um, driving around town or whatever, opening that door to that kind of habitual drinking of soda months and months after you've had surgery, um, when you've kind of kicked that one habit to the curb for a little while um, and gotten to goal or gotten really close to goal, could set you back onto a path where you're going to allow other habits back in. And I know that sounds silly, but you'd be surprised what our unconscious minds are capable of. Diet sodas, zero sugar sodas, etc. Even like the seltzers and like the flavored waters and stuff like that, it could be a trigger for you. And it might not be a trigger for you. But if soda and, you know, carbonated beverages were a part of your daily life, it's just better not to go back there. Um, and find out if it's still a trigger for you or if it's still going to impact you the same way. Um, mistake number three is not making good food choices. And I know that sounds really vague and kind of basic, I guess, but before we had surgery, we obviously made more bad than good choices or we, would, we wouldn't have needed the weight loss surgery to begin with. Um, many of us kind of envied those naturally slim people and thought that maybe they were just like blessed in a way that we weren't. Um, and we didn't really realize how much people actually watch their food choices and their intake, um, as closely as they do. Um, I I have an example, actually a personal one as a pre-op, I used to have, like when I was younger, I would have lunch a lot with one of my work friends and I always thought of her as being naturally slim. And I would think, gosh, you know, she's so thin. Why would she get like grilled salmon on a salad with dressing on the side? She can easily get like a big double cheeseburger and fries. It never really occurred to me because that she was slim, naturally slim, quote unquote, because she didn't choose the burger and fries. And I, I really got surprised one day when she mentioned that she exercised in her living room every morning. She, um, back then we used DVDs, but um, she exercised in her, her, in her living room every morning and I slept in because I stayed up all night probably snacking and eating and stuff like that, you know, just fooling around. We didn't have to be at work till in the afternoon. We were, um, had a different kind of job back then. But I had it backwards and it took me a long time to own that I ate differently than others do. And even now, I realize that like when I go out with my boyfriend on a date or something like that, when we share a ribeye, it's not because we're trying real hard to be cute and romantic. It's because ribeye steaks aren't calorie free. And we both watch our weight closely and work out on a regular basis. Weight gain and weight loss is math. And we've talked about this on this podcast before. Calories eaten versus calories burned. It's just, that's as simple as it is. We were so overweight that we qualified for weight loss surgery because we ate more calories than we burnt. A lot more. We weren't just a little overweight, we were obese. So if we're not losing weight after we've had surgery, we're still taking in more calories than we're burning. We do have a volume restriction, which means we're choosing the wrong foods. And honestly, it may not even be totally the wrong foods. I've worked with thousands of post-ops who regained without ever having things like French fries or other junk foods pass their lips. Tons regain or failed just to get to goal and completely stall out and eat low-carb foods or healthy things. 
but they stay in that high fat zone with too much cheese or something similar and tons regain or just stop losing weight again on eating small portions of food like grazing under the guise of snacking. So you have to make an effort to stop with the convenience foods on a regular basis. Learn a few simple go-to recipes or cooking techniques that you can you can use to surround yourself with better choices. You're gonna have to use these for the rest of your life. You're going to have to kind of adopt a rule of lean protein first, followed by lower carb vegetables and fruits. And that should be the core of your diet forever. Just keep repeating it. You can use this at restaurants, on vacations, at your mom's house, at your friends. It's possible as long as you want to use that. Stick to it. You chose surgery knowing that this was going to be a permanent deal. Why have your stomach permanently altered if you never truly permanently alter your habits around food? Mistake number four, not understanding alcohol. Not a drop of alcohol for the first year. This is a common, common rule, and it's a medical fact that your liver and your other organs are already pushed beyond normal limits by the massive weight loss you're experiencing. A single sip could absolutely send your body into a tailspin. That's the reason it's not off limits, not because of a super transfer addiction. It's your health and well-being at stake that first year. You also need to know that your previous experiences with alcohol are no longer valid as things changed with your bariatric surgery. Without a normal sized stomach for digestion, the cocktail or beer or whatever you're drinking flows directly into the small intestine and it's sucked into your bloodstream at almost full proof, full strength. So you can and likely will get drunk, not tipsy, in seconds. Even if you drank regularly before surgery, your tolerance is going to be way lower than it used to be. And frankly, it's really, really shocking how fast it happens. I also want to warn you that because of this, it's important that you never, ever drink alone or drink around people that you wouldn't trust with your life. And that's an absolute rule you, you need to adopt. The person that you've been dating for a month or your coworkers of two years even, those don't qualify. Things can go very wrong with alcohol, and if you're alone or with someone who doesn't really understand your surgery or your medical history, it could place you in grave, if not fatal, danger. Now, I also want to address addiction, as everyone has heard about transfer addiction. And yes, there are studies that show an increased rate of alcoholism within bariatric people that may be due to transfer addiction, and that stems from compulsive behavior. So be aware of this. If you find you're drinking more than you did as a pre-op or even more, more, more than occasionally or that you can't stop drinking, get help. It's available literally at your fingertips these days. No one even has to see your face even anymore. There are apps, books, websites, and more to help you stop even without a 12-step program if you'd prefer not to go that route. But you've got to get yourself help if you need it. And, and please do so quickly. You deserve it. Mistake five not taking vitamins or supplements. And it's a little silly when you think about it to think that you could have most of your stomach removed or cut in half with, with your bi intestines all bypassed and switched around and stuff like that. Or even a silicone band, like the lap band, choking out your, um, your stomach to the point where you're uh, gonna be dropping 100 pounds in just a few months and not need to take vitamins. I mean, it doesn't even make sense when you say it aloud, right? Our doctors and our dietitians and our nutritionists tell us we've got to take type vitamin supplements after we have surgery. And so many post-ops don't. 
it's really shocking how many wonder why they feel sick or weak and don't take vitamins on a regular basis or they insist that they chew ice because they like it well um, they don't realize that their stored iron is so so low that if they walked into an ER they'd want to get um, the ER staff would want to put them on a blood transfusion not just an iron infusion but actually give them blood because that's how badly they're um, they're in danger the number of post-ops who break your wrist or ankle and just like simple slips would actually really shock you. I've seen so many in our Facebook groups because of the size and the length that we've been around. Um, but and, and this may seem kind of unrelated, but like start looking for, especially if you're newer to, to surgery, seek out people who had surgery a long time ago, 5, 10, 15 years ago. Social media Facebook groups can be a little bit deceptive because the active members tend to be on the newer side, um, under a year in most of um, most of the groups, unless it's a group specifically for like regain or long-time post-ops and stuff like that. But try to find ones who had surgery back in the early 2000s when surgery was really new. Ask them how they're doing medically. Um, how are their teeth? How's their bone density? Don't let your six-month or even one-year labs fool you either. It can take three or four or more years for vitamin issues to show up because your body stores so much in reserves. You've got to stay on top of things for life, and that means taking those vitamins forever and getting your labs checked on a regular basis for life. I've been a post-op now since 2005, and I've watched so many post-ops just absolute horrified that their teeth are loose because of osteoporosis, um, because of they've had like really bad um, bone density in their jaws specifically. Um, some of these people have needed to have things like bone grafts. I mean, forget dentures. Bone grafts hurt like you wouldn't believe, and the cost is out of this world. And these are people who are like in their 30s and 40s that had surgery like back when they were in their 20s. They weren't thinking about stuff like that. No one thinks about that. There's also things like significant neurological conditions caused by not taking essential B vitamins and other supplements that you just can't turn around. Once it gets that bad, you, there's nothing that can be helped with it. Some of them can even lead to death. And I'm, I'm not going to get too much farther into that because it's, it's, it's really, really scary. But please, take a vitamin, get a patch, do something. Ideally, find bariatric formulas, take adult vitamins, but take something every day for the rest of your life for your own good. Mistake number six is not drinking enough water. And dehydration is the number one reason for hospital readmission for new post-ops. It's largely preventable. Um, so if you're listening and you're a newer post-op and wondering why you're feeling a lot nauseated all the time, maybe a little bit kind of tired and foggy, I bet you're, you're a little bit dehydrated. Drink up and see how much better you feel. A lot of people come out of surgery initially and kind of feel really good. Um, but then about 10 or 15 days, they kind of start sliding into like really nauseated. They get headaches really easy, um, kind of dizzy. You've got to stay in front of the problem and drink water consistently throughout the day. Small sips every few minutes, just set timers, do whatever you need to do. But stay ahead of that problem. Mistake number seven is grazing. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but plan to eat actual meals. Sit down and be mindful about what you're doing. To um, kind of break down what grazing is, grazing is eating a couple bites here and there, um, like going by the fridge and grabbing a cheese stick, but you never really fill up. Sometimes people use the term snacking a lot. They're really one and the same if you're doing it consistently. Um, I know that sounds really silly, but it's like, you know, you kind of have your, you. a lot of people will plan for snacks and eat because it's time for a snack, not because they're hungry. And that can be graving, grazing. 
if you're using your surgery the right way, you should be able to eat a meal and stay satisfied for three, maybe four hours. So needing to eat every two hours is a big sign that it might be time to start adding in some volume with dense proteins, maybe vegetables, less of the slider foods like cheese sticks, nuts, even yogurts and puddings can be problematic for lasting satisfaction for post-ops who are maybe more than a year out, eight, nine, 10 months is usually when things kind of start naturally kind of loosening up a little bit. And I'm not saying that your pouch stretches and or anything that dramatic, but there are just naturally, we can eat a little bit more, more the food, the further we are out from surgery. So things that filled us up initially, you know, I, I remember my first day as a new post-op after my revision thinking, wow, a popsicle just filled me up. And now, I mean, it wouldn't even touch actual hunger. And that's just, that's, there's nothing wrong with me. That's just how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. But your pouch, your sleeve, your lap band, that's the strongest tool that you've got. And not filling it properly is giving up a powerful way to control fullness, satisfaction, and a way to control your weight in the long term. So it's important to actually sit down with your food and slowly eat a meal. You're looking for satisfaction, not fullness. That will tell you when you should stop. And if you, you're not really sure what I'm talking about, listen to episode 17 that talks about when to start eating, when to stop eating, specific signals you can use to kind of cue yourself when you've had maybe too much, when you haven't had enough. And then episode 39 talks about mindful eating, the actual process of eating and what we should kind of think about. Um, but grazing is a behavior that allows you to consume way more food over the course of a long, like several hours or a day, since you, you never really get full, you never really get satisfied. If you realize that you're grazing on a consistent basis, stop it in its tracks, or even like you're grazing through the morning, um, or like in a, in a period of time. Um, eat, you know, stop what you're doing and just have something to eat that's solid. You know, grab a piece of chicken, a, pe- a piece of leftover steak or whatever, but something that's gonna be like solid and actually, you know, give you that kind of sense of fullness and then move on to an activity and attract, um, distract yourself. Because in a lot of cases, that grazing or that kind of mind, mindless snacking and eating is really due to like head hunger, where we think we're hungry, we're looking for something to do. You might just be a little bit bored. So get busy, get your mind off food, but try to focus on fullness and, you know, making sure that you're actually hungry when you're eating. Okay. Mistake number eight, not exercising. People like to believe that people who go to the gym love to exercise, that they look forward to it, that they just cannot wait to be there. They want to spend all day there. The truth is that most people who exercise on a regular basis are there because they want to look and feel good. Few really, few, they like the act of working out, but they have days too where they just don't want to go. But they make themselves go because they like the result. Then they, they do, they have to make themselves go more often than you realize. And right now, if you're thinking, oh my God, exercise, I, I can't exercise. I've got bad knees. There's something wrong with me. I don't have money for a gym membership. I don't have time. Take a deep breath and realize that there are exercises you could and should be doing that will help your knees. Um, that your, any medical issues that you might have that might prevent you from lifting weights, maybe swimming might help you. Um, maybe instead of joining a gym, if you've got a dog or bikes, do that, you know, walk around your block. There's YouTube videos you can look on, on your phone and do like from your living room or from your desk behind your, you know, close your office door and do YouTube videos in your office, or you can do anything 
You know, there's a ton of things you can do. Maybe you're just choosing not to. Mistake number nine, eating too many carbs. Let's lay it out there. A big post-op problem is hunger, and many don't get that carbs are the reason. Eating protein first naturally limits the amount of carbs that you can eat. And doing this controls your hunger by keeping you physically satisfied for longer periods of time in between meals. Because of your limited stomach space after you've had weight loss surgery, any carbs that you do eat should be fruits and vegetables. While a little Debbie cake, for example, may have the same number of carbs as a dish of blueberries, it also has zero nutrients. That little tiny cake is basically a dead food with no nutritional value at all. So choose the berries for great taste, fewer calories, and tons of nutrients that your body needs. And you'll, your body's going to use that energy to actually burn stored fat, not to mention that they'll have more volume. So you'll feel more satisfaction faster and you'll stay satisfied longer. Carbs like chips and pretzels, bread, even oatmeal and crackers, they burn quickly and they'll leave you hungry within an hour or maybe two hours or whatever, but they, they'll leave you hunger, hungry. You ever notice that eating like goldfish crackers or Doritos or whatever just makes you want to eat more food, if not finish all the crackers? When people are gaining weight or just not losing and starting to keep a food journal for a couple days, it's obvious really, really quickly that carbs are what's wiggled their way back into their lives. A couple here, a couple here, there, even in small amounts, those little tiny things that they think, oh, that can't hurt. That's just a little bit. Clean them out. Clean those carbs out. Stop buying them. Get some fresh, lower-carb vegetables and fruits that bring nutrients into your party. And finally, number 10, and this might be the harshest one of all, um, making the assumption that weight loss surgery cured your obesity. A lot of people refer to that first year or so after surgery as the honeymoon phase or the honeymoon period. And it's a really accurate description. When the weight's falling off of us very, very quickly and the world gets a little bit brighter and everything feels real good and we're just feeling like a success for the first time with our weights in a long, long time or maybe ever, it's really hard to imagine that we'll face the problems of obesity or even morbid obesity ever again. You can almost hear it when you're um, reading posts from um, new post-ops in the support groups and stuff like that on Facebook. But I'm, I, we've mentioned this in the, in the um, other episodes and stuff like that, but the, the weight loss party will end eventually um, during those first seven or eight months of massive weight loss. It's, it's wonderful, but it's going to stop. I, I know it's hard, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm really, really not. But there's a big, big metabolic change that actually happened when you had surgery. And it's shocking when it does stop and things really, really start to slow down and things change after eight or nine months of, of surgery. Some people get as many as 18, 19 months. But eventually, that, that fast, rapid weight loss, um, it does stop. And it's, it's really kind of sad when you realize what's actually been happening, and that it's, it's been the surgery. And... While you were working hard, now you've got to work a little bit harder. And, you, you know, it's, it's scary. There are some people who don't catch on to this. 
until it's too late. And they use their first year as a post-op eating small amounts of junk foods or whatever in moderation. They don't deny themselves treats. They give in because they don't want to feel deprived. Um, these are the same people who often assume that the people who don't get to goal or stall out must be eating off plan, that they just be, must be eating massive quantities and eating around the surgery or that they're just doing something wrong and not doing anything right. Um, and of course, in the long run, these are also the same people who post in the support group that they're concerned about the scale not budging for two months, or they're wondering why the scale keeps going up and down the same five pounds for, for weeks on end. And we all know how common it is for post-ops to not lose all the way to goal over the years, or even regain a substantial, if not all of the, the weight back. Even those paying attention often get hit with a regain, just like the people who have not had weight loss surgery can gain weight. Weight loss surgery is not effortless, nor does it last forever without serious commitment to the new way of life that you have to create. And change is really hard. It really, really is. While we thought that the weight loss and weight loss maintenance after surgery would be a lot less difficult with the surgery, it turns out that just like with non-surgical weight loss, it still comes down to diet, exercise, and our willingness to change significant habits for life. So with that, I'm going to close here. And I want to thank you so much for listening. I also want to urge you to take some of my words to heart. Come join us on Facebook in our Facebook group. We'll hold your hand and help you through this no matter where you are in your journey. Um, there's a link to our group uh, in the profile for this podcast. And if you have a question that you'd like me to tackle on an upcoming episode, please send me an email at suzy at realtalkwithsuzy.com. And don't forget to review and subscribe to our podcast so you're always updated as soon as episodes are available. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please pass it on to someone you might um, that might find it helpful. Thanks. <laughs>